book of Galatians, and we'll be in chapter 1 again today, and we're going to finish chapter 1, verses 11 through 24 total, but I just want to start with verse 23. 23. It's King James, and it says, Paul writes to the, to the church there, churches there in Galatia. He said, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. The one who had been persecuting was now preaching. And that is Paul's testimony. So the main thing we're going to talk about today is your testimony, right? What is your testimony? And who knows it? If you have kids or grandkids, do they know about your encounter with Jesus, how he changed you? Do your coworkers know that you've been changed by the Lord? Do your neighbors know that you've been changed by the Lord, right? What we're going to be challenging today is to think about how can I share what God has done for me so that people would praise the Lord because of me. That's the, the very simple message today. And the first thing we're going to kind of look at today is the source of the gospel, where the gospel came from. So along that lines, I want to talk us a little bit about source. Oh, this was a pretty good start. This person says, my eight-year-old embraces some interesting sources of truth. We were coming home from the grocery store recently when he asked, Dad, do you believe in the Bermuda Triangle? Jack, I replied, if you're asking me if I believe that this place exists, my answer is yes. If you're asking me if I believe all the mysterious stories about ships and planes disappearing, no, I think that's all baloney. Well, Dad, Jack said with a note of defensiveness, I believe in it, and I bet you want to know why. Yes, Jack, I do. Well, I was watching Scooby-Doo, right? Consider the source. Now, sometimes we try to encourage each other in that whenever somebody is saying things about us or other people, we're like, hey, think about who's saying and what they're saying. Today, we want to consider the source about where the gospel is coming from. So look down, if you would, in verse 11, the source of the gospel. Again, Paul writing to the churches, he says in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul is continuing his theme of the gospel. Again, let me set the stage a little bit. We had it in our Sunday school lesson again today. You guys did too, I'm sure as well. And last week, we identified that the problem was there was Gentile believers who had come to Christ through faith. They believed on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that belief was transforming them. It was changing them. It was making them what God wanted them to be. But there were some other false teachers who were creeping into these churches, and they were, had a lot of Jewish background, and they were telling these Gentile believers, well, it's all good that you believe in Jesus, but you need to do these other things. You need to stop eating this. You need to start eating this. You need to stop going to these places. You need to start going to these places. You need to stop celebrating these holidays. You need to start celebrating these holidays. And when you'll do these activities, then you'll be pleasing to God. We're going to see this throughout the book. It's a little bit of a theme. So these guys and gals at this church who had started on the right path, who had believed the gospel, who believed that the only way for them to be reconciled to God was through Jesus, now we're starting to buy into this idea that, well, if I do the right activities, then I'll be pleasing to God. 
And so Paul is trying to say, look, let me tell you where this gospel comes from. It is not something I made up. It's not something I got from some other people that they made up. I got it directly from the Lord. The message he received to preach was not something that he was taught or something that he learned from others. He received it directly from the Lord himself. That's not to say that uh, studying the scriptures uh, at a university setting or a college setting is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to learn and to know these things. But what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to establish his authority and the authority where it came from. He was changed upside down. Where did you turn upside down when you met the Lord? Yeah, go back to that for just a minute today, right? What was different, right? Uh, I love my friend Bob Irvin, who we done, done jail ministry for a few years together, and he he always tells this to me. He says, "Travis, when when the Lord came and changed me, he said sin wasn't fun anymore." <laughs> I thought that was kind of an interesting way of putting it. What right? Uh, for me, my direction changed. What I want to accomplish, what my hopes were, what my dreams were, all that shifted. And for me, it was such a young age. But what was it for you? For Paul, it was he was the one who was persecuting. And now he was the one who was preaching that we just read when we started the message today. So God here is revealing himself to a man by the name of Paul. And he's trying to say very clearly, I didn't get this from Jerusalem. I didn't get it from Judea. I didn't get it from some Gentile or Jewish leadership. I got it from the Lord. The problem today is sometimes we run into people who are having a message that they didn't get from the Lord. It's from Robert Weber. He said, I was traveling on a plane from San Francisco to L.A. a few years ago. I was sitting next to the window, and I was reading a Christian book, and the man next to me, obviously from the Eastern Hemisphere, asked, are you a religious man? Well, yes, I said, I am too, he responded, and we began talking about religion. In the middle of the conversation, I asked, can you give me a one-liner that captures the essence of your faith? Well, yes, he said, we are all part of the problem. And we are all part of the solution. We talked about his one-liner, a statement I felt was very helpful. And after a while, I said, would you like a one-liner that captures the Christian faith? Sure, he responded. And I said, we are all part of the problem, but there is only one man who is the solution, and his name is Jesus. And that really describes the difference in a worldview, doesn't it, right? You guys, we live in a world right now, right now, that identifies with what the other man said. Oh, we're all part of the problem. We're all part of the fix. But the only fix, the true fix, is found through redemption in Jesus. And that's the good news. That's the gospel that is available to all. So again, that's that source this morning. I want you to look for a beat with me just a minute about Paul's pedigree. And he tries again, trying to develop his authorities, he tries to speak to these churches. An Israelite pedigree. Look down at verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul had one of the clearest before and after stories of anyone who came to Christ. Have you heard stories like that? You know, maybe it's about the biker who was out getting drunk and traveling across the country, and then they get saved. They're still a biker, but then all of a sudden, 
their want-tos are different. Maybe it's someone who is on uh, really heavily addicted to drugs, and then they have a transformation, and all of a sudden, the drugs don't have a hold on their life anymore, right? Maybe it was a marriage that was completely torn apart and destroyed, and after salvation, God comes and he reconciles it and brings it back together. Paul's story is amazing because it's so clear of who he was before and then who he was after he came to Christ. He was always a zealous person. I think this is a little bit interesting too. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that your personality necessarily changes. Are you tracking with that? If you were a very detail-oriented person before you became a Christian, you're probably still a detail-oriented person. If you were someone who had a messy room before you came to Christ, you probably still have a messy room now, right? Okay. There are some things that don't necessarily change because of salvation. Here, Paul was zealous, period. He was a zealous person with a zealous personality. Whatever he was going to do, he was going to do it with all his heart. And initially, he was persecuting the Christian church, the people of the way. And then, of course, we know his story when he got transformed, the zealousness he would have for Jesus. Now, he wants to lay out a little bit about his history, again, trying to share with these people what God had done in his life. And I want to share with you in Philippians chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles, I want to turn over there. Let's look at Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 3. Again, same guy writing to a little different group of people, and here's what he says about where he came from. Paul says to the church at Philippi, for it is we who are the, if you will, true, the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. You have any confidence in your flesh today? What's your pedigree? What's your background? I think I've shared some of these things with you before. Paul is trying to share where he came from and how what that was is not relevant to who he is now. I could share my pedigree and say, you know what? My grandpa was a preacher. So that makes me better than you, right? I can say, I was born in a free will Baptist church. Not exactly, but close, right? I was going to Free Will Baptist Church before I was even born. I went to Camp Hope all of my life. I went to the Free Will Baptist Bible College. I went to seminary. Are you getting the idea? You could lay out your list of, here's all the things that I did. Here's who I was. That's what Paul is doing here when he lays this out. And what he's trying to tell people is that even though I had all of these things, they are useless without Jesus. So he lays out some of the things. Let's look at those just briefly. He says, if anybody has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Look in verse five. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, what does he say? Faultless. What? This guy was good. He checked off all the boxes. If you thought you came to church a lot, he was there more than you. 
If you thought you prayed a lot, he prayed more than you. If you thought you gave a lot, he gave more than you. He was saying, according to the law, I was faultless. But look at verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. That's a transformation. This is who I was, but that's not who I am anymore. Those things were lost. They didn't help me in the Lord. Instead, he's going to share now what has happened to him. Look, if you would, back in Galatians chapter 1. We'll get back to verse 15. He says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. A lot of things here in this verse. Real quickly, we see first off that God had a purpose for Paul from his mother's womb. Think about that. And here's my thing for you. God has a purpose for you today too. Do you believe that? Yeah. I was looking out over here, over the congregation today. God has a purpose for you. And we want to fulfill that. We want to revel in that. And Paul was saying, yep, God had a purpose for me ever. Even before I was born, he had a purpose for me. After he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, his life was forever changed, and he began to preach the gospel that had been revealed to him. And what I think is kind of interesting, who was he preaching to? The Jews? He was preaching to the Gentiles. He was probably taught all of his life that the Gentiles were scum and dogs, people to be hated, and what does he end up doing? loving those people. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the Lord works, right? His call, his ministry would not be to Jewish people, but it would be to Gentile people. And again, it shows the transformation that when God gets involved, what happens to a heart and what can happen to our purpose. I also like this this morning. I want you to look at this just briefly with me. God had a purpose for Paul uh, from the beginning, and he would reveal his son. Notice this is kind of important. In Paul and not just to Paul. God wants to reveal his son in you too. So for God to reveal Jesus to Paul, what was that? That was an encounter, right? That was on the Damascus road. That was Jesus saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? That was God revealing Jesus to Paul. But to reveal Jesus in Paul was what? It was to preach and see people come save. It was to pray and see people get off their mat and walk, right? And again, I would refer to you back to Miss Charlotte again today. The Lord is revealing Jesus in Charlotte, not just to her, but in her. I want God to reveal Jesus in me, amen? So even as you sit there and you think about the words of the scripture or whatever the Lord, the Holy Spirit's got on your mind this morning, Ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, reveal yourself in me. Let people see you in me. If I'm going to my workplace, if I'm just working and helping my family, if I'm going downtown to a homeless ministry, if I'm working in a youth camp, if I'm going to a jail, or if I'm going to a, a other shelter, Lord, reveal yourself in me. And the Lord did that through Paul. And so because of his obedience, there would be a church 
that would be established. Now, Paul didn't go running right off to the leadership of the time. He wanted to focus and spend his time with the Lord. We always had a joke in seminary that he was away for three years, and seminary is actually three years where I went to. So we say that's where Paul's seminary days were right there. He spent them in Arabia, <laughs> okay? Um, but he will come back. Look down at verse 18. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. Who's that? Peter, right? And I stayed with him 15 days, and I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Again, Paul is trying to lay this out, that it was not about something he learned from other people, but he learned what he learned from direct revelation from the Lord himself. So three years after he, after he became a Christian, three years after he went away to Arabia, he comes back and then he does go to Jerusalem and he meets with Peter, right? He also met with James. Um, but even here, he says, the churches in Judea, they didn't know me because I wasn't spending my time around there. The only thing they heard was this, and that is the man who had been persecuting them was now preaching. Could you imagine me in one of those first audiences? What do you think that was like? We live in a culture that is even still somewhat accepting of the church. They live in a culture that couldn't stand the church. And Paul was actually going around rounding up people. He was trying to capture them, <laughs> put them in jail. And some of them, he witnessed their very death, right? You remember that about Stephen? When Paul, who was Saul, when he was at, Stephen was proclaiming and preaching, they said that they laid their robes at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. And Saul was reveling in the persecution of this person of God. And Stephen was actually stoned to death. And Paul was a part of that process. And now he walks into church. Could you imagine the whispering that day? Lauren, you're not going to believe this. That guy over there, just a few weeks ago, he was there when they were, they were killing people like us. Do you, do you trust him? I don't know if I... Ms. Vicky, what do you think about that guy? I just, I think I'm going to scoot over to this side. In our modern day, we'd probably be like, who's packing today? Right? Who's got their gun ready? This was the guy who was taking out people like us. And now the preacher is letting him come up and stand behind the pulpit, and he's telling the story of Jesus. Now, initially, that would make us all pretty suspicious, right? But ultimately, what happened? The Lord was glorified, right? And that's what it's really about. Is God taking the people that we are, the mess that we are, the confusing state that we are, and then transforming our heart so that people look at us again and they're like, is that the same guy? Is that the same lady? Is that the same person that we knew? Because when the Lord reveals himself in us, that transformation becomes obvious to those around us. Let me just read to you briefly. I just like the story so good. Acts chapter 9, verse 11. So there we have the Lord Jesus speaking to, to Paul, to Saul, who will become Paul. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas 
on Straight Street and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Excuse me, that's Ananias. Verse 12, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias was, what was he saying? You sure about this, God? That was it, right? And, and you guys, sometimes we have that same thing, don't we? Are you sure about this? Are you sure about this, Lord? But that's where the greatest miracles show up when the transformation is this big. In verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument again to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Well, let's wrap it all up this morning. We're going to kind of end where we started. Look at verse 24, Galatians chapter 1. And this verse has resonated with me since I was a young person. Paul says to the church, he says, and they praised God because of me. Are people praising God because of you? I hope that they are. Something that I learned a long time ago, we have this, uh, Free Baptists have this thing called truth and peace. It's kind of a, a leadership camp for young people. And I went to Truth and Peace for this first time. Of course, I was just so excited because I never experienced anything like this. And all these young people on fire for God, we'd all come together. And there was this kid from Colorado. And man, I mean, I was trying to play the piano, but this kid could flat out play. It was kind of like uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, a Christian version of Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, when he played the bass on his hand right there, he was just like, who is this guy? I remember we were at camp one time in Tennessee, and he was playing the bass hand so hard, Diane, that some of the black keys came off the piano. It was an older piano. I was like, who is this guy? And I remember even in that moment thinking, wow, that God could show himself in the talents and the ability of this young man. Well, later on, we got to actually travel together. His name's Don Myers. He, his heart for Jesus is even more amazing than his piano playing ability. But what I remember from that is I actually saw Donald's gift, but I didn't glorify Donald. I actually was glorifying the Lord for what he had put into Donald. And that's what we want for all of us, right? That when people would see us, it wouldn't be about us. It would still be about him. And so this is the point of Paul's testimony, really his very life. They praised God. They didn't praise Paul. They praised God. And that's a very important distinction. They praise God, he says, because of me. Not that he was glorying, but he was sharing that the change in his life was cause for God's name to be glorified. And so the question to you this morning is very simple. Who gets the glory from your life? Who does? Is it about you? Or is it really about the Lord? When all is said and done, will the same be said about your life? And so I want to kind of close with this idea this morning. That is, what is your story? Your story is so important. I can't share your story, right? I can kind of tell people about you, maybe what God has done, but I can't speak your story to other people. We know Teresa's story. 
I can tell people what God did in Teresa's life, but when Teresa tells it and she shares what God did, whoa, right? I can't tell Vicki and Rick's story. I can tell about it, but Ben, when they tell it and they say, was he saved? What a whoa comes over when you hear that story, right? Um, someday somebody's going to be uh, telling stories about Sawyer and Spencer, <laughs> But when they're able to share the story of what God has done for them and what God has brought them through, that's their story, right? And here's the thing, interesting thing about stories. People can argue all day up and down about the Bible, but they really aren't going to argue about your story because that's where God intersected your life. I want to encourage you to this week to share your story with somebody, whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member, whether you do it online uh, or do it in person, that you would share with someone what God has done in your life. And hopefully that people will praise the Lord because of you. All right, one final illustration today, and then we'll be done. Dennis Bird was a professional football player. And as an up-and-coming defensive superstar for the New York Jets, he was predicted to help the, turn the Jets organization around. And then tragedy stuck, struck, excuse me. On November 29th at 92, the Jets were playing the Chiefs, and Dennis was about to sack the quarterback when he collided with a teammate, and his spinal cord snapped. In a split second, his football career ended. He was paralyzed from the neck down, and everything he had planned for his life came to a screeching halt. Later, he wrote about waking up in the middle of the night at Lenox Hospital in a halo brace not knowing where he was, not knowing why he couldn't move, not knowing what was happening. And suddenly he went from dreaming of making it to the Pro Bowl to hoping he could someday hold his daughter in his arms again. From a worldly perspective, Dennis was no longer able to reach his potential. But in God's eyes, Dennis Bird is capable of much more than sacking quarterbacks. In God's eyes, Dennis Bird is capable of giving him glory and Dennis has done that in a tremendous way. Well, the world watched and listened as Dennis Bird told the media that Christ was his source of comfort in his time of tragedy. The doctors announced to the media that Dennis may never walk again, and it would be years before they would know. And Dennis told the media that with God's help, he would walk again and soon. On opening day of the 93 football season, less than a year after the tragic collision, Millions of television viewers watched Dennis Bird walk out to the middle of the Meadowland Stadium while 75,000 fans stood cheering in ovation. The miracle in Dennis Bird's life is not that he broke his neck and walked again. The miracle is that the injury that destroyed his career didn't destroy his life. Amen. And they praise God because of me. Share your story this week, okay?